From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Using science to debunk myths from the pandemic to climate fraud. Thanks for listening to Sky Dragon Slaying on TNT Radio. Uh, welcome back. Uh, we're very happy to have with us Professor Jim Fetzer talking about um, the 60-year anniversary of the shooting of JFK. Um, the, the important point that um, struck us, Jim, um, that uh, we didn't really address properly was the fact it's a conspiracy between eight literally eight different parties you you said in the first hour there were eight shooters in Dealey plaza and you you went through you you listed who was involved all the way from you know the uh, corruption in 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 uh, lyndon b johnson's own assassin you talked about um the idea that uh, there's a consortium of criminals in texas it, it's astonishing that america has so much corruption and so many people willing to, to get to take a part in this awful assassination but sh- just for our listeners j- just break it down for us you know go, go through that again for us you know the the eight characters the great that the eight um conspirating conspiracy conspirating parties you know who are they and why would they do it yeah the the best way to think of the assassination is in terms of the sponsors the facilitators and the mechanics now the mechanics were the actual shooters in Dealey Plaza and their supervisors, who included George Herbert Walker Bush and Edward Lansdale, who appears to have been positioned as shooters and determined the sequence of shots. Now, they were tied together by a blood oath where each of them put up their own shooter. The first was a CIA. JFK was threatening to shatter the CIA into a thousand pieces because they deceived him about the Bay of Pigs. It was a bait and switch. They had learned the Soviet Union knew when we were going to attack, and they shared it with Castro. So Castro knew, Soviet Union knew, CIA knew only the commander-in-chief was left in the dark. So Jack had Bobby and Maxwell Taylor sorted out. And when he discovered how he'd been played, he fired Richard Bissell and Charles Cabell, who are CIA icons, for Charles Campbell just happened to be the, the the brother of the mayor of Dallas at the Earl Campbell at the time of the assassination. Their their shooter was a, a Dallas cop by the name of Roscoe White, who had a diary. CIA requires its agent to keep diaries so they can fabricate an alibi if they're responsible. They need to know where they actually were so they can put them somewhere else. Gave mm-hmm. it to the FBI and it disappeared forever. Roscoe was on the grassy wall and had a handgun shot. That would have been very easy, but he would have hit Jackie and they were under strict instructions. She should not be harmed. So he pulled his shot. It went up in the grass. Well, it was picked up by a Dallas police lieutenant by the name of Day and never seen again. Then the 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 mafia had a shooter whose name was Frank Sturgis. He may have been the best marksman in the world at the time. It was uh, Mafia was upset with Jack because they had an agreement with Joe, their father, not with Bobby and Jack, or at least believe they did, that if they helped Jack become elected by making sure Chicago went for Jack and therefore Illinois, that they'd lay off of the mob. But Bobby, as attorney general, was going after them, hammer and tong, getting more convictions and indictments than ever before. They felt they were double-crossed. 
Sam Giancana's nephew even wrote a book about it by that title. Oh, well, the mob had a role. It was not a mob hit. Then we have the anti-Castro Cubans. The anti-Castro Cubans believed they had been betrayed by JFK by not providing air support at the Bay of Pigs. Jack had actually made it clear to the CIA that there would be no overt United States support. But the CIA found it convenient for the anti-Castro Cubans to have their rage directed at Jack instead of at them. They put up a shooter, Nestor Tony Escadro. He was in the Dal Tex building. It was he who had the man liquor Carcano, a much better version than the one that was planted in the book depository. Well, when all the evidence was moved to Washington, D.C., the swap was made in the weapon that had actually been used to fire the bullet that was implanted in the back of uh, JFK had been fired from that weapon. As I said, it was the only unsilenced weapon. He was actually supervised in the Dow tax, firing out of the window of a broom closet to a uranium mining company that was a CIA asset by George H.W. Bush, who would be arrested coming out of the Daltex and identify himself as an independent Houston oil man, which was a CIA cover. But there was a deputy sheriff who, who recorded all this, even though he wasn't formally booked. Then we have the, uh, the, 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 the Texas oil men. Okay, Jack was threatening to cut the oil depletion allowance, which was like close to 25% on the ground that oil was a finite resource and by pumping oil out of the ground, they were putting themselves out of business. So they threw in and their shooter was a deputy sheriff by the name of Harry Weatherford, who was on top of the county records building. He was the one with a 30-06 for which he'd acquired a silencer in the two weeks before the assassination to fire that Manlicker Carcano bullet with a hand load that was a weaker than normal load to reduce its penetrating power because they wanted to implant the bullet. And he fired the bullet, was implanted, it did hit him five and a half inches below the collar. And as I began to explain, Gerald Ford had the description of that wound changed from his uppermost back, which was already an exaggeration, to the base of the back of the neck. But get this, David W. Manting, MD, PhD, is a leading medical expert on the JFK assassination, took a patient with similar chest and neck dimensions and plotted the official trajectory. And it's not even anatomically possible because cervical vertebrae intervened. So, you know, all the stories about the magic bullet are ridiculous. It was not magic. Uh, uh, Sam Kinney actually found the bullet, put it on. I don't know why Paul Landis has made that claim. It was done by Sam Kinney, put it on the stretcher. Even Oliver Stone, when he did a sequel, and unfortunately it was with this guy named Jim D. Eugenio, who, like both Robert Grodin and Josiah Thompson, have been limited hangout guys. They are, I am convinced, plants to thwart serious JFK research and to, to conceal some of the most important findings, which I'm sharing with you here and now. Lyndon had his own personal hitman, Malcolm Welk Mac Wallace, in the, in the book depository, but on the east side, rather, on the west side, rather than the east, firing at John Connolly in the mistaken belief it was Ralph Yarborough. Lyndon had orchestrated the visit 
so that Jack could moderate between the conflicting factions of the Texas Democratic Party, especially represented by Yarborough on the one hand and and and, and Lyndon on the other. But he he wanted John Connolly out. John had been his campaign chairman running against Jack. And the, the whole plot began in Los Angeles in 1960. No one could believe that Lyndon would allow John Connolly to be in the line of fire. Well, what happened was they had a huge argument where Lyndon was trying to get Connolly out and Yarborough in. But JFK overrode him on the ground that the chief executive of the state should ride with the chief executive of the United States. And it was too late to get the word to the assassin. So he was in the line of fire. And remarkably, it obfuscated the politics. Now, the Joint Chiefs threw in. They had multiple grounds. Jack had refused to invade Cuba against their unanimous recommendation. He'd gone ahead and signed an above-ground test ban treaty with the Soviet Union against their unanimous opposition. He was pulling our forces out of Vietnam, where the chiefs believe a stand had to be taken against the uh, expansion of international godless communism based on the domino theory. It was a fantasy. The Vietnamese were fiercely nationalistic. They weren't going to kowtow to the communists. Cambodia, Laos, Indonesia, the Philippines weren't going to fall. It was just a convenient story. Well, they convinced an Air Force expert by the name of Jack Lawrence to do it. He was inside the triple underpass, fired the shot, a bastard of the windshield that hit Jack in the throat, using a rifle that appears to have been given to him by Curtis LeMay, who was the very right-wing head of the Air Force at the time. It was a very special weapon. I've been doing a series of new JFK shows with Larry Rivera and with Gary King for decades. And we feature all kinds of new discoveries, including the guy who figured out the gun, he even brought one with us, showed us how it all folded up. There was a fuse box inside the triple underpass with a weapon with a conveniently fit to be hidden. Jack Lawrence went to work for the automobile dealership that provided all those different make and color models for the motorcade shortly before the assassination and afterwards. He showed up there all muddy, sweating, and nauseated because he'd made his escape by going through the sewer system. Then we have Israel. JFK and, and Ben-Gurion were at loggerheads because Ben-Gurion wanted Israel to develop nuclear weapons, which JFK opposed on the ground and set off a nuclear arms race. Ben-Gurion was so disgusted that he resigned in disgust after directing the Mossad to participate. Now, they're a hitman came from Toronto, where the Bronfen family is so powerful, his name Clyde Tolson. And he appears to have been the one who, in the vicinity that Pergola fired the additional, the third shot to the head from the side. And finally, we have the Eastern establishment surrounding the Fed. Jack had already instructed the Department of Treasury to print United States notes on the ground that it was absurd that the government should be paying a consortium of private banks to publish the currency of the United States when it could be done for no interest at all by the Treasury. So I remember as a young Marine Corps officer holding one of these bills in my hand, it had a red embossed imprint. It said United States note rather than Federal Reserve. And 
their gunman was on the south knoll. There's just a single tree there. You wouldn't believe there was anywhere for a gunman to hide. But I've seen photographs, two different photographs, and they had the two different experts showing him standing with his rifle. These are not the same photographs. He's the only one of the eight we have yet to identify by name, rank, and serial number. So that's a big picture. When he was coming from Houston on TAM, the driver mistook the frontage road in front of the book depository for Elm Street, swung up too widely, nearly hit a concrete abutment, had to pause, get back in line. That was so embarrassing. That would have drawn attention to the Secret Service role, so they cut it out. That was like a hundred frames. And then after Jack was hit in the back and hit in the throat, he was still alive. You had an umbrella man there pumping an umbrella, which means he's still alive. You had a guy known as a Cuban who reaches out with his fist, meaning stop, rear, bolt the left, and stop, jostling mm. the members. And I now know of six different parties who've seen what appears to be the unedited film and confirmed the limo stop. And it was during that pause, which I initially thought was only six or eight seconds, too many activities happened. So I now gauge that it lasted about 20 seconds. There were lots of witnesses who said there was a limo stop. Well, guess what happened? During the limo stop, only was Jack hitting the back of the head, something forward, Jack eases him up. He's hitting the right temple and the side of the house, slumps to the left, slumps to the left. Not that violent back into the left. That was from editing too many frames. Jackie gets up to go after a chunk of Jack's skull and brains on the trunk, just as Joe observed. And, and Clint Hill rushes up to push her back. Now, Bobby Hargis, who is riding to the left here, one of the four motorcycle officers, was hit with debris from the headshot so hard, he thought he himself had been shot. Well, he dismounted. He ran between the limousines up to the grassy knoll, which would have been impossible had they been in motion. Officer Douglas Jackson on the other side, motorcades up on the grassy knoll until his bike falls over. And then he proceeds on foot. And they confront a guy in, in civilian clothes with, with dirt and grease under his nails with fake Secret Service credentials. And I know the guy who made the Secret Service credentials. Meanwhile, five Secret Service agents got out, surrounded the presidential limit, one took a chunk of skull from a little boy, threw it back in the seat, and then they motored off. So I say that's about 20 seconds. And at 18.3, we're talking about another 400 frames. Well, what remains is only 487. So altogether, had this been authentic, it would have been about 1,000 frames, and we're missing more than we have left. The roots in this go really, really deep. And one of the other speakers that was at the conference, they had 28 speakers, each up with thousands of hours of research and each one making an hour long presentation. So it's uh, impossible to give even a decent coverage of it. But one of the guys was Nate's, Nate's, uh, Casey Quinlan, and he brought up some interesting facts that I didn't know. And I read The Devil's Chessboard and The Very Best Men. So I've read 800 pages on information about CIA, but I didn't know that uh, Alan Dulles and Reinhard Gellin were uh, classmates at Oxford University in the 30s, and that they both ended up, after they graduated from Oxford with their law degrees, working for Sullivan and Cromwell Law Firm in New York uh, with the New York bankers, and that Rockefeller 
put a $250 million loan into the German government, in addition to the $100 million that was put in by U.S. Industries, and Gale, uh, Reinhard Galen worked with Alan Dulles, who was stationed in Switzerland, okay. to make sure transfer all of the rush uh, all of the german gold up to the swiss border so they could capture it after the end of the war that's something that i didn't know and uh, oh. uh ryan again gellen was brought over with operation Pace, paperclip and given a u.s uh, army generalship the, this is oh. absolutely outrageous. thanks 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 for all that joe uh yeah, Jim, we, we're going to have to take another break, about, Jim. Jim, Jim yeah, hold on. Sure. We're going to have to take another break. This is TNT Radio. You should hear what Charlie Robinson is talking about. I think once we saw the supply chain issues uh, that happened during the COVID debacle, you go, well, that seems bad for the, you know, when you're fighting somebody for toilet paper, but it could be worse, right? It could be the last can of food. So people are starting to reevaluate and reassess their situations and their relationship with supply chains and the like. And I think what that does is it leads you to a place of saying, how can I make myself less dependent on the system? It's kind of hard to know where to start, right? Where would you suggest we even begin with this process? Yeah, it's funny you said that because someone said to me recently and it made me laugh that this is going to be the kind of collapse where the Burger King's still open. I, I think that's what's probably lulling people into a false sense of security in that everything when we go to the city kind of appears normal unless you're in one of those really crazy drug adult cities. But for most people, I would say, Charlie, it feels normal but it ain't normal. <laughs> the world yeah. is not normal. It's completely gone off kilter. Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Radio works because of its ability to personalize to the listener. What's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it. You know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars, it's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. You are about to, about to hear today's news talk and the voice of freedom. That's what this country is all about. TNT Radio. Jim, um, I'm contrasting and comparing the interview we did with Fred Litwin, Litwin um, a month ago, uh, where he really went to town on pulling apart the Oliver Stone film. And, um, you know, I accept that, you know, as a viewer of a film, a Hollywood film, you, you know, there's artistic license um, to use that as the kind of main thrust of discrediting the whole conspiracy theory analysis, I think was a bit weak. Um, but we were very respectful to Fred because he was compelling. But again, now we, we've had you on the show, the, the the depth, the amount of detail that you're bringing forward is overwhelming. Um, you and Joe, Joe Olson, you, you've done tremendous work on this. And uh, I've got to, you know, take my hat off to you both because it's it's really hard to, to keep up with what you're saying. The information is truly staggering and overwhelming that you you have to smell a rat, don't you? You can't just sweep it under the carpet. Um, I, I feel that in these cases, I mean, I have, I have some background, legal background. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but I have legal background. I've done quite a few uh, cases pro se, and uh, I, I do know how it works. And I do know that when you have an overwhelming amount of evidence, it's very hard to bat it off. And, um, you know, I have to say you really should. You, in the break, you mentioned that there's one of your books that's not been banned by Amazon that uh, is the most recent one and very relevant to this conversation. Do you want to just mention that for us, please? 
Sure, sure, sure. I have four books on JFK. I began collaborating with David Mantic, who has both the MD in physics and the and the PhD in physics from Wisconsin, MD from Michigan, board certified in radiation oncology, where we linked up when I was outraged by the editor-in-chief of the Journal of the American Medical Association going on television and denouncing everyone I knew who had ever done serious research debunking the Warren report. And it occurred to me that if someone of this level of distinction were going to abuse his position for political purposes, perhaps some of us with special backgrounds and abilities, such as myself, an expert in epistemology, methodology, and the philosophy of science needed to become involved. I'd already founded an international journal. I'd already been on many editorial boards. I knew what he was doing was grossly abusive. So I followed what happened in the journal, and there was a letter complaining from a fellow that resonated with me. So I reached out to him and suggested we collaborate on a long article or a book. It was David W. Mantic, and he had secured permission from Burke Marshall, the Kennedy attorney, family attorney, to enter the National Archives to study the autopsy materials. And he told me going in, he thought he would find evidence of a second shot to the head, which indeed he did, and evidence the autopsies had been altered, which he also found. And I said to him at the time, I said, that's great either way because we were practicing the Popperian methodology of testing a theory by attempting to falsify it, which we've done in spades. In fact, David's gone back nine times to the National Archives. None, none of the JFK autopsies is an original, none of them. They've, they're all copies or fakes. They've been altered in particular to conceal the blowout to the back of the head. So that when I began to studying the Zapruder, and we knew the blowout to the back of the head had been obscured by the x-rays. It, 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 you look at frames falling 313, which is a composite frame. The blood spray is painted in and all that. And, and it's blacked out. The blowout at the back of that is blacked out in a very primitive way. But it occurred to me maybe they overlooked that in later frames you can actually see it. And in 374 where Jackie's getting up to go out on the limousine, you can see the blowout. It's bluish gray, back of the head. There's a pinkish extension. It's a skull flap. It's crescent shape. It's still attached to the skin of the skull, but you can see it. And if you compare the area, David demarcated his area P for patch, it's a very good facsimile, except in the frame, JFK's head intrudes over the, the blowout partially, but it's, it's like a cashew on its side. I mean, there you have visible right in the film itself, they overlooked. And in fact, Larry Rivera's discovered Jackie was wearing white gloves. And in earlier frames, her white gloves provide a background where you can see the massiveness of the defect. I mean, it's what he discovered is awesome. Now, the, the, the limo stop is so important there was an early generation researcher by the name of Fred Newcomb who interviewed all four of the motorcycle patrolmen and their supervisor, Stavis Ellis, Elvis, and all four of them confirmed the limo stop and the activities I've described about Hargis running up and, and Douglas motoring up the side. We found one newspaper article that talked about the motorcycle patrolman motoring up, but we have photographs 
where you can see the dance in the grassy knoll that his motorcycle made. Now, Joe Olson mentioned a fellow named James Files has been insisting for decades that he fired the shot from the grassy knoll that killed JFK. He's talking about the right temple shot. Now, when I he initially made it in a video called a uh, confession of an assassin and two I was on the Duluth campus of the University of Minnesota at the time and two state TV stations asked me to assess it and I explained to them I gave it an 80% accuracy rating meaning 80% of what he said was true but that 20% of what he said was false he was not the shooter well I eventually I mean decades and decades later would have contact and wind up featuring James Files for dinner at my favorite steakhouse, along with his wife. They've actually published three different books claiming he killed JFK. And we had a wonderful time. I like the guy personally tremendously. I have no doubt he's a serious guy. He's a made man. He has killed a lot of people, some of whose names you would recognize immediately. But he said something twice during our conversation I reflected upon. He said, once the government takes out a position, it's stuck with it. It will never change. And that thinking about JFK, of course, we got the original Warren report of three shots from the lone assassin. We know that's all nonsense. But when the House Select Committee reinvestigated in 77, 78, they, by the way, assigned Robert Grodin the task of investigating the rumor that Lee Oswald had been in the doorway, and Robert Grodin fabricated evidence. He put Lily, Billy Lovelady in a, a black and white uh, colored shirt. I mean, it's just outrageous what he did to give them the answer they wanted to hear. No, it wasn't. It wasn't Lee Oswald, it was Billy Lovelady, which was utter rubbish. I mean, as I say again, Billy was actually invited in by the FBI on the 29th of February, 1964, wearing, asked to wear the same clothing he wore at the time. He came in wearing a short sleeve, red and white, vertically striped shirt that bore no resemblance whatsoever to what Lee Oswald is wearing in the photograph. Grodin knew better. He knew better. He participated in a fraud. Well, we have a similar phenomenon with files. A House Select Committee concluded that there had been a, a probable assassination because there appeared to be a second gunman on the grassy knoll who had also fired. If you went into the National Archives today, you see there's an anonymous letter saying, they discounted the acoustical evidence that supported that. And they reverted to the original warrant. Well, Files, it seems to me, is playing the role, the scripted role of that second gunman on the grassy knoll. And now do we know for a certainty? Because he just had an interview with Oleg Damagard, whom along with Nick Hollerstrom of the UK are two others who have been as prominent and extensive in their research on false fights and conspiracies, as have I, he told Oli, the limo never stopped, that it kept moving. Well, that's preposterous. It was the limo stop that set up his hit. So here you have from James Files himself, and I'm just surprised he was able to play Oli, because I have a huge respect for Oli, but he was just following a script. 
when I when I figured that out, I actually called Pamela because I, I after our dinner together, I got this wonderful call from James. So I just called Pamela to say I wanted her to notify James that I had concluded that he was following the script. And she she would tell me later she she'd waited two weeks to tell him because she was so afraid of how his reaction. He just said, well, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. I love it. I mean, the guy's a super good guy. I like the guy tremendously. I didn't invite him back for dinner again, but he didn't shoot JFK. Jim, we need to name the name of the book. Name the book, please. Oh, okay. I've got uh, four books. The first three are all based on that early research and then a conference I held in 1999 and another in 2003. The first book is Assassination Science, 1998. Mm -hmm. It has all the basic medical evidence and studies by David Mandick on the alteration of the x-rays, a report by Bob Livingston, a world authority on the human brain, how they substituted someone else's brain for the brain of JFK and a lot of other good stuff. That book went through 14 printing, 14. The second book, Murder in Dealey Plaza, based on a conference in 2000 I organized in Minneapolis on the death of JFK. Many like Murder in Dealey Plaza say it's the best book ever published on the assassination. Has three essays by Mandic. It's got excellent work by Doug Horn, who is a senior analyst for military records for the Assassination Records Review Board created by an act of Congress to get all this stuff out to the public, which has been done in large measure, about 90, 95%, but not in all. And other essays like that one by Doug Weldon about the limousine. That's a wonderful book if you can find it, Murder in Dealey Plaza. The third, The Great Zapruder Film Hoax, I brought together the six leading experts on the film and we put together a fantastic David Lifton, David Mantic, Jack White, uh, 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 Healy, uh, David Healy, and... Uh, uh, John Costella, who's done this brilliant tutorial. I regard Costella as the leading expert in the world on the assassination film. We prove, based on internal evidence, that the film is about 98% technically perfect, but the other 2% gives it away, including they took out the Stemmons freeway sign. There was a shot through this freeway sign, so they had to take it out and replace it. And when they replace it, they put it in the wrong place. So we can prove that and that, you know, other ways in which it was edited, including merging the two hits. By the way, Josiah Thompson in his early book, Six Seconds in Dallas, had demonstrated that that shot to the back of the head had been merged with a shot to the right temple to, to as a composite in frame 313. I mean, he had a brilliant scientific analysis and proof, but he sought to discount it later. Uh, it, it's a fascinating story, but Josiah was actually setting out around the 50th to do a, a multi-part video series debunking conspiracy for JFK and did the first one on the Umbrella Man. And I published a piece just dissecting how this was all nonsense and, and explaining how it was being used to discredit serious JFK research, and they abandoned the project. They were going to do 50 of these little vignettes debunking conspiracy and it quit after the first and i have no doubt it's because i blew it apart but that there you have some some of the leading figures to this day 
Robert Grodin and Josiah Thompson and Sissio's Bruder film is unaltered, even though we have proven a dozen different ways, including not only from the internal evidence, but from comparisons, they use that the Bruder to alter others, including the Knicks, which is most important, taken from the opposite side. But in the Zapruder, Clint Hill never touches Jackie. In the Knicks, they're in contact. So it was imperfect. And then we have all the eyewitness testimony that discounts the, the vision, this version of the Zapruder film. It was actually sent to Hawkeye Works, which is a private CIA lab adjacent to Kodak headquarters in Rochester on Saturday, where it was revised and then sent down to the National Photographic Interpretation Center on Sunday to replace the original. They had one team working on Saturday, and they, they prepared a poster board about how many sh shots had been fired and how many hits. That was right. But then they brought down the altered film and redid it. There were physical differences. The film they brought on Saturday was an already split 8-millimeter film that had been developed in Dallas. The one brought down from Rochester was a 16-millimeter unsplit film that had been developed in Rochester. So the effect of the substitution of what we have today is this uh, revised film, but where they were flawed in how they carried it out. David Lifton, let me say, in his book, Best Evidence, was the first to point out some of the features I'm talking about here, and I regard all four of my books, the fourth, 2017 JFK, Who, How, and Why, brings us up to date regarding these more recent issues about the limo stop, Oswald in the doorway, and much more, where Larry Rivera has been the cutting edge on this more recent research. Larry Rivera was one speakers this Sorry, morning and he said that dallas pd did search warrants on uh lee harvey oswald's um rooming house that he was staying in and they got his passports he had one in 1959 and one in 1963 they listen, have kept listen to this. and yeah they have kept those secret but then they went ahead and released them to university of north texas uh, and in digital form, and Larry got a copies of them, and it proves that he absolutely was not in Mexico. That was one of the cover stories. He was down there, well, and they also proved that they could never get from Mexico to Cuba without having State Department Joe, approval. Joe, 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 let me explain. It says right in Lee Harvey Oswald passport, not valid for travel to Cuba. That's why they <laughs> had it. Larry has taken the more recent records. And he has yeah. dissected the, the, the Mexico City thing. It was a complete fabrication. And the participants, the CIA assets involved, not one, not two, but three presidents of Mexico. And the other speaker that was of note this morning is Chana Gail Willis. Her father, Phil Willis, was uh, joined the Army on December 8, 1941. He was put in... Uh, the Navy, and he was a DNI, uh, Navy, Naval Intelligence Photographer, uh, OSS. Uh, he was on Dealey Plaza the day and took photos there. And he was told that once you uh, are part of the system, that you uh, cannot get out without them killing you and all of your family. So he was pretty quiet about it, but he had loads of steamer trunks. She said they just found another one about a week ago. And he had, they'd already opened 
eight steamer trunks full of evidence. And he had sat down and explained this stuff to her. But he said, you can't say anything about this till after I'm gone. He also was in charge of the uh, the review of the LAP62 Cuba recon photos where he in red circled all of the missile sites for the uh, the Joint Chiefs Staff's review. He had pictures he took in uh, Russia with uh, or in, in Yalta with uh, Roosevelt and uh, Stalin. He had pictures that he took with uh, JFK at PT 109 in the Pacific. He was all over the place, and she has incredible testimony. She wants to be a guest on TNT, so I suggest that sometime after the first of the year, we bring on uh, Chana and let her talk about her dad. It's absolutely stunning information. Yeah, we're going to take another break now. This is TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Who says legislation isn't a contact sport? We nearly came to blows today in the United States Senate as Senator Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma squared off against Sean Butterbean O'Brien, the general president of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. O'Brien had been very critical of Mullen on X, tweeting, greedy CEO who pretends like he's self-made. Just a clown and a fraud, always has been, always will be. Quit the tough guy act in these Senate hearings. You know where to find me, any place, any time, cowboy. Mark Wayne Mullen read that tweet and said, here is a place, now is a time you want to go? And Butterbean said, let's go. Cooler heads like Bernie Sanders intervened. They weren't going to come to blows anyway. This wasn't quite the caning of abolitionist Republican Senator Charles Sumner by pro-slavery Democrat Senator Preston Brooks of South Carolina in 1856, but it was good to see a Republican show a little spine, show a little enthusiasm for his position. Now, if we can only get Mark Wayne as focused on election integrity efforts and on budgetary issues as he is on posts on X. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. Military families often sacrifice precious time away from loved ones while serving our country. And for those with children, the separation can be especially difficult. We were worried that with him leaving, that she would lose those connections with her dad. Some of life's best moments happen between parents, children, and the pages of a good book. United Through Reading provides that connection. You can watch your mom or dad read a book to you, and it almost feels like they're really there. We ensure they remain a consistent, meaningful part of their children's lives, no matter the distance. Just seeing Jacob recognize Daddy again after a long time just melted my heart. And now, as we're facing greater isolation from our loved ones, United Through Reading is also available to veterans. Learn more about United Through Reading and download our free secure app at unitedthroughreading.org. Using science to debunk myths from the pandemic to climate fraud. Thanks for listening to Sky Dragon Slaying on TNT Radio. Well, the time's flying by, Jim, and uh, we're in the final section now. And um, we've not really given as much time as I wanted to give to Joe Olson. Joe Olson, you're at the... uh, JFK conference there, and uh, there are obviously things you've not yet covered. Do you want to fit them in now with us? Well, yeah. One of the other things was that uh, JFK had signed a national security uh, memo, number 263, on October 22nd, 1963, to exit from Vietnam. And on 
November 26 was just four days after he was killed. LBJ issued NASAM, N-A-S-A-M 273, which canceled the withdrawal of troops from Vietnam. So that's one of the motives that they had for doing this. Uh, the other thing is there's so much information that we're not going to be able to cover in, in this short two hours. I'm going to be doing an interview uh, shortly with Hobie Morick, and he and I will be able to spend a whole lot more time talking about just the stuff that came out in the conference. And there's another four hours tomorrow. So it's like, you know, no risk, wicked. So, but it, it's a, it's a labor of love because all these people are very dedicated and they're all extremely knowledgeable and they've got enormous amount of backup evidence. So the forensics is there. We know who did it and we know why. And we know the roots of this go very, very deep. This goes back, you know, even before World War One. They've been setting all of this stuff. Uh, if you believe uh, the pipe guy with, with the KKK and the and the uh, New World Order, they've been this since 1870. Joe, it's go so ahead. far fetched. Look. The origin of the assassination began in, in Los Angeles in 1960. You can't plan to assassinate a president who hasn't even been elected. It began in L.A. in 1960 when JFK beat LBJ for the nomination. Now, he invited Stuart Symington, a senator from Missouri, to be his running mate, but he gave him overnight to think about it. Meanwhile, Bobby went to the Johnson suite to extend a pro forma symbolic gesture invitation to run with JFK, never imagining he'd have the least interest in actually doing it. Johnson jumped on it, threatened to expose that Jack had Addison's disease, wasn't expected to live a long, healthy life. That among his dalliances had been one with a beautiful woman who was a spy for East Germany. Information he got from Edgar. And that if he were not on the ticket, then any legislative proposal set down by the White House would be dead on arrival because in his position as a powerful Senate majority leader, he would kill them, bottle them up. Jack and Bobby tried to figure a way around, but Lyndon had them boxed in. He had to accede to his demands. When one of Lyndon's wealthy backers learned he would be on the ticket with Jack, he burst into the Johnson suite cursing and swearing. Because now LBJ would help JFK become president. Bobby Baker took him into a bedroom and explained what they had in mind. He came out all smiles, saying he thought that was an excellent plan. Bobby Baker would later declare in public that JFK would not live out his first term and that he would die a violent death. Lyndon, in the course of time, would send Cliff Carter his chief administrative assistant down to Dallas to make sure all the arrangements were in place for the assassination. Now, the first person to put together the big picture to contemplate what it would take to have a perfect assassination plan was Noel Twyman, a retired engineer who published a book called Bloody Treason in 1997 and contemplated how different arrangements of CIA with military, with Secret Service, with Edgar and with Johnson would be the framework for the perfect plan. He got it right. And if you stop and think about it, speculation about KGB or anti-Castro or pro-Castro Cubans or the mob doing it 
once you understand the autopsy's been altered, the, the brain has been substituted, the film has been replaced, they're disqualified because the mafia, for example, could not have extended its reach into Bethesda Naval Hospital to alter x-rays under control of medical officers of the U.S. Navy and the Secret Service. The, the, the pro or anti-Castro Cubans couldn't have substituted another brain for the brain of JFK. The KGB couldn't have got its hands on this Zapruder film to edit it. One of the arguments Josiah Thompson has made endlessly is that the chain of custody would preempt the film being edited. But that's assuming the Secret Service, which is in possession of the film, was good guys rather than in on it. They were in on it. So Josiah was just pulling our chain. In fact, it was the Secret Service who got the copy to the CIA headquarters, a private secret film lab, Hawkeye Works in Rochester, and the substitution was made. So those are all big picture items, indispensable to understand what happened on 22 November 1963. But, Jim, but we've, had, so, we've had a continuous puppet show for at the whole entire 20th century. Uh, Eisenhower was a CFR member from 1924, total part of the MIC industry. Dewey won the election in 1948, but they threw it and gave it to uh, Truman. Um, the 1960 election, it looks like there was enough tampering in uh, Illinois and Texas to carry for Kennedy against Nixon. So, you know, but when you get the person that accidentally wins like Trump, you have to figure out an exit plan for him. And so the predicate for this goes back to a crooked rigging of U.S. elections for the whole entire 20th century. And that's the whole point. It's like JFK just kind of lucked in, but they got him in with a, a spike with him. And they did the same thing with Reagan when they put George Bush, who claimed that Reaganomics was voodoo economics, ran against him. And when he lost in the primary, they stuck him on the ticket. Absolutely insane. You know, history repeats because people don't understand history to begin with. That's the problem. Well, on that point, I wanted to throw something to Jim. Jim, you have such you know, a breadth of info that you present. And, you know, obviously you can go on and on with this. You're, you're so well-researched. There's so much to present. Yeah, two hours is, is clearly not enough time to discuss this. But, you know, could you summarize this just to, you know, where do you see, where would you like to see this go? If there's one thing that you could say you want to see as a result of all this research, what would it do? And what would you like to see? What would you like people to know most? And, and where would you like to see all this research lead to what would you like to see done about it now given that you know the people aren't around anymore really who who did this or if they are they're very very old you know where where do you see, see this want to go where do you want this to go and, and what do you want people to, to know most well it really reflects the fragility of democracy in our institutions today which have been further corrupted by rigging elections so that biden would be elected over trump when based on my research Trump got a, over 100 million votes and Biden about 37 in 2020. I mean, it's just disgusting. It was a pivotal point in American history, Joe. We had a 35th president of the United States adored by the American people doing great good things for America. He was going to shatter the CIA into a thousand pieces. He was going to get us out of Vietnam. He was going to cancel the oil depletion allowance. He was going to get rid of the Fed. He was not going to allow Israel to go forward with a nuclear arms race. 
you can see why so many powerful factions had motives to eliminate him and where Lyndon Johnson, who was such a master manipulator, devised a scheme that would implicate every one of them. So it was the equivalent of a blood oath. We're, we're all going to, you know, hang together or we'll all hang separately. And I appreciate Joe's enthusiasm, what he's learning there. But this has to some of us been pretty familiar stuff for quite a while. As I said, I've been doing these shows with Larry Rivera for over a decade. I mean, every week we would do a new show on the latest JFK. So he goes to a conference and he's catching up with stuff that we exposed six months ago, a year ago, because these conferences are intermittent and only occasional. What the American people need to understand is we had a succession of presidents who had never have held the office but for the assassination of Jack, including, of course, Lyndon Johnson, then Richard Dixon, who, by the way, was at the ratification meeting at the home of Clint Murkison Sr. the night before Nixon was in on it. Gerald Ford, who, of course, succeeded Nixon, who was Hoover's man on the commission. George Herbert Walker Bush was initially, as Joe observes, Reagan's VP, but then they arranged an assassination attempt. Reagan was actually shot, not by John Hinckley, but by a Secret Service agent when he pushed him into the limo with a flechette that barely missed his heart, but he got the message, let George do it. And thereafter, George Herbert Walker Bush was basically running the government and into his own term. Then we had a Jimmy Carter fluke. How Bill Clinton is tied in is a very complicated issue. W, obviously, would never have been taken seriously. And when he came into office and they had to steal that from Al Gore in Florida, it was to ensure Dick Cheney was in place as VP to be the executive director of 9-11, which was an Israeli op in order to create a, a fiasco in the U.S. that would justify American forces entering the Middle East to take out the modern Arab states. That served as a counterbalance Israel's domination of the entire region, beginning with Libya and Iraq, ending with Syria and Iran. Well, the job isn't finished yet. And Paul Craig Roberts has astutely observed that what's going on now with what appears to be a, a fake Hamas attack to justify the slaughter at Gaza is completing 9-11 with a plan to take out Syria and Iran. Hopefully, Libya is counting on the U.S. to do the dirty work for them. It's a ghastly situation, but we have to understand where we came from, how this all emerged to be able to have the knowledge and understanding to take actions such as they may be to correct it. So that's well, your Jim, answer, well, Joe. It's a, that's it's, I, I'm in a position of providing the information about what really happened that the public can better understand and act accordingly. But if we can't fix our electoral system, Barack Obama, as I said, put it under Homeland Security before he left office. So they could monitor and change the vote down to the precinct level. And that's what we're having to deal with today. I've said before, I say again, the Republicans could run Jesus Christ as their candidate and he'd still lose to a Biden or a Newsom or whatever because they control the vote. And until Jim, we go back to paper ballots and hand counts, that ain't going to change. 
that's just so fascinating. I think all of us wish we had more time with you, and I hope I'm not taking too much time. But um, you are, you know, obviously you'd be familiar with that quote from JFK where he's talking about a global conspiracy, and he's talking about something that seems to be so well um, you know, running like this well-oiled machine, this global conspiracy to do something, and he's stunned by it, right? You can tell in his words in that speech, you could probably, you know, recite the words of that 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 quote. I can't do it quite, but it's to the effect that, you know, he's saying that there's a, this global conspiracy that is so well-organized, it's almost beyond his imagination to be able to comprehend. So my question is, do you think that these eight factions who participated in his assassination are part of some sort of insane criminal enterprise, some overarching control structure that organizes and controls all that? I would surmise he's probably talking about, you know, in relation to the Fed and the international banking, the Rothschild banking in the, uh, empire and its extension to states that have suffered calamities. Because when, for example, in Libya, the first action of the rebel force was to found a new central bank. I knew this was all wrong. Omar Gaddafi had created the most humane nation on the face of Earth, sharing the wealth of Libya, uh, uh, national health care, national education, $25,000 grants, newly married couples, the great waterworks would have turned northern Africa into an oasis, the gold dinar that would have rapidly become the currency of all of Africa. The Rothschild didn't like that. They live on compound interest, which has been described as the greatest evil ever created by the hand of man. So if I had to conjecture what Jack had in mind, I would not be surprised if through the study of the Fed and the, uh, the, the role of the Rothschild banking empire that he began to appreciate its tentacles spreading worldwide. That is the one entity that fits what he was describing to a T. Excellent. Jim, we've got about a minute or so left. Um, I want to emphasize that your um, work can be found at jamesfetzer.org and uh, Amazon uh, have your books and uh, I've just been on there if you look under James H. Fetzer you can find 29 of your books there James I know you said uh, a lot of them have been banned and I, I can see why I, I presume a lot of that banning is to do with your you know unfortunate situation with the Sandy Hook matter and I, I think we need to have you back again on that because I don't think we've done enough on that I want to do more on that and I think that, again, is the root of a lot of the problem, you know, where they call it um, lawfare, the use of the law to, um, you know, shut down anybody who speaks out against the narrative. Um, we know about uh, yeah. the use of slap. You know, well, John, slap in, in, in order to oh, shut hey, me up, they, they took jamesfetzer.org. I'm at jameshfetzer.org. I have a BitChute channel, Jim Fetzer, but in BitChute channel, Jim Fetzer, I'm on Twitter at Jim Fetzer. You can get all but the Sandy Hook book at moonrockbooks.com, moonrockbooks.com. So check it out there. And I appreciate all that, John. It would be my great pleasure to return again and again. Your choice. Yeah, yeah Jim, the, the amount of work, the as Joe Posner said, the, the extensive knowledge you have is incredible. It, it's two hours have just flown by. Um, yeah, I, I think you've answered everything that um, we were go hoping to answer with the, the, the month ago with Fred Litwin, you know, defending the narrative. You've debunked the narrative comprehensively and with plenty more in the tank. So I have to say, Jim, it's been a pleasure having you on the show again um, from Joe and Joe myself. Thank you very much for being on uh, Sky Dragon Same. This is TNT Radio.